I want to start my sermon just before 12 so I can actually say, good morning, everyone. <laughs> good morning. You're very welcome to Holy Trinity. My name is Rob. I'm the pastor here in the church, and those who are visiting, it's great to see you. You'll see our Connect details up on the screen, which we can leave up the end of the service for those visiting, and there is Connect cards on the pews. Fill them in if you'd like to receive our newsletter. It's great to have you all here. So hands up who's been on holidays. Hands up who's going on holidays still. Oh, man. We, we, we're, we're just back from our holidays a couple of weeks ago. We spent a good chunk of time in the States. We drove from Niagara Falls all the way to north of Miami. I know, why? You're like, why would you do that? Just go to the west of Ireland for a few weeks. We had a great time going away with five children and a, and a couple of women, though. I actually do need a holiday after that, you know. They probably said the same thing about me. <laughs> no, we had a great time, and we're so thankful to the church for facilitating it. But I was in the States, and I, I have to say something just as I kick off the, the sermon here. I don't think I've ever been in such a polarized culture as I experienced in the States. When I was there and when we were there, you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor and it's something I'm very privileged and honored to do, but above and beyond what I do, I actually love the church. And it's much more than a role for me. Actually going along to a service on Sunday is very important. And so I committed to myself to go to a, a various expression, of, a diverse expression of churches when I was there. So from very high Episcopal with the, the incense to like full-on hand in the bag of rattlesnakes. No, I didn't go to that church. <laughs> but I, I wanted to go to the full spectrum of, of churches from denominational to non-denominational. And I was, I was so struck. And maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm, I, I read a lot as you have, but how polarized and how political the church is in the States. And I don't want to get into that too much because we'll become polarized <laughs> if we start talking about it. But I bring it up because I was struck by many things, but I, one thing in particular struck me, and that was that the simplicity, a lot of the times, of the message of Jesus Christ and what the church is about has been lost, I think, in a lot of, of these churches. They were great churches, and I'm not saying we're any better, but I was reminded of the simplicity of just what the church is supposed to be doing, and God really spoke to me about that uh, as I was over in the States. And when I was there, and just after I came back, I came across an article. Lena's just back from her holidays as well, and she, did you have a nice time, Lena? Yeah, she did, yeah. Can't wait for Lena to preach, she's gonna be amazing. <laughs> So, yeah, I came across this article, and it was from Time magazine. You might have come across it. It was the most influential people that have ever lived on the planet, not just when they lived, how they affected culture, how they changed culture, how they influenced culture, but today their effect goes on. And they requisitioned this 
statistical survey where they got universities to actually, through Google searches, through publications, a proper survey as to try and get a handle on who the most influential people were and continue to this day. Coming in at number two was Napoleon. Number three was Muhammad. Number four was William Shakespeare. Number five was Abraham Lincoln. And Aristotle was after that and then was Kim Kardashian. But it was interesting that number one was Jesus Christ. And the article was fascinating because he was number one, they explained, but then they went, and you might have read this article, they went into this whole discussion as to how he didn't really exist though. <laughs> which was kind of a bit funny that they were saying he's the most influential person, but we're not quite sure, and if he did exist, he certainly wasn't the Son of God. He was just a, a good person. And so it just, it just got me thinking about our perception and the church's perception of Jesus and the world's perception of Jesus when I was away. And thinking on my own life and thinking on our lives and our church's lives about who really mentors us and who really is the one that we go to for advice and the one that actually continues to influence us in our journey as Christians or people seeking faith. And being away and having the opportunity to reflect on my own relationship and how life can become so busy and separated from that simplicity of what the gospel is about is actually such a common thing in the West when we can separate ourselves from the significance of Jesus. And so we're going through this sermon series called Companions, and I love the artwork that Christine and Scott did of feet up on the dashboard. Reminds you of me driving to, to Vero Beach, you know, with a Starbucks coffee in hand. But the purpose of this series is journeying with Jesus to the Gospels of Luke. But I think we can sometimes place Jesus in this buddy-like character who He's kind of there, he's, he's got his feet up on the dashboard, and he's kind of our friend. And I think there's a huge part of the character of Jesus in that, but he's so much more, and the significance, both eternally and temporally and now, is something which the church needs to remind itself, as opposed to getting stuck into politics. This doesn't mean you don't have a political opinion, of course you do, we don't strive for justice, we do. But I was, I was very struck, though, as I was reflecting on the person of Jesus just on my own holidays, I was reflected by how he can become very distant and separated and become something which is no longer really relevant in our faith, which is hilarious when you think that the church might have actually moved on uh, from Jesus. And I think if we're honest though, and if you are really honest with yourself, the struggle that we have I think with relating to people like Jesus and the other people in the Bible that we read about is because the church have sanitized them. The church have placed them like Holy Trinity in beautiful stained glass windows like we have here to my left and to my right, St. Philip, St. Peter, St. Paul and St. Andrew and, and the four apostles here to my left. And we've placed them in these beautiful religious images that are distant and detached, very white, which they most certainly probably weren't, mostly men, 
John does look a little bit like a woman there on the right-hand side, but very different to the characters they actually were uh, in reality. And I think because of that, and I met someone here during the week, a pastoral meeting, and they're really struggling with something in their lives, and it was they that brought it up. He said, look, I, I'm really struggling in my faith to connect with the reality of the Bible and who these people were. And they seem so distant and perfect, and, and, and my faith is so weak, and I'm, I'm not able to connect, and I'm struggling, and I'm in pain, and my, you know, there's, there's things going on for this person. And I think the church has done us a disservice in actually disconnecting both Jesus and these people from the reality of our lives, I think because of the need for the church to be in control and to paint these people in this perfect way, which wasn't the case. And one of the people I've learned an awful lot about when I was away and reflecting on, and the church in the traditional setting today thinks about, is Abraham. Abraham is one of these people which we put up on this pedestal and we, we all the major faiths, they profess him to be this great man of faith, which he, which he was. But however, if you look at his life and you realize the realities of what he struggled with, there's a very different picture about the person of Abraham and all these people that are in these beautiful stained glass windows that surround us. If we think of the life of Abraham, he was all over the place at times. He had to grow in faith over time. It wasn't just a point of perfection, it was a journey of grace. He struggled with his marriage. He really struggled with the very pastoral, true issue of having children. He had a serious fight with his family, particularly his nephew. He lied publicly about his wife. He had to move country and he would have lost his job, a very upper-class person moving to a very agrarian, lower-class society. He was a real person that struggled, not just a Jesus in a Time magazine or a, an apostle in a stained-glass window, a person who grew in faith over time. Yet, he teaches us something very important, and that is about the importance of faith in this reality of life. The importance of what faith actually means when you feel so broken and so separated and so different from these images in your faith. The reading in the church today, which we won't have at our contemporary services, Hebrews 11, uh, verse 8, which talks about Abraham. And it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive an inheritance. By faith he stayed for a time in the land that he had been promised. By faith he received the power of procreation even when he was old, and Sarah herself was barren because he considered him faithful who had promised. Now, the writer of Hebrews rightly takes out this reality of faith in his life, but if you look at the life of Abraham, there was so much brokenness and difficulty in that, which is where God was actually meeting him to get to this point of professing and living by faith. Faith is such a small word. It's a word that's bandied about, I remember, 
uh, someone saying to me in a very difficult time, where is your faith? It can be a word that's often misunderstood, misrepresented, and a judgmental word used as opposed to an encouraging word. If you Google faith, you'll see images of grand mountains, and you'll see a road into the distance with a light at the end, or a person jumping a gap. All very real aspects of faith, but the reality of faith is brokenness, oftentimes, separation, uncertainty, choosing God even when you don't feel like it. And this is the reality of the person of Jesus. This is the reality of those who went before us. This is who these people are. And for most of our lives, whatever age you are or wherever you're at, the significance of knowing that God is in those moments, not just the moments which are the high moments, but all moments, is very significant. Faith in the Bible is described in many ways. But the most important way is described in Romans 10, 17, which says that our faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so putting that living Jesus who struggled just like us in that place of faith is so important, but yet difficult in oftentimes in life. And the church, I think, has distanced itself from the reality of faith in her attempt to want to be powerful or political. But the reality of these people in the Bible, and especially Jesus Christ, was he was honest about his faith. He was simple in his faith, but he was strong in his profession of who he was. This mix of vulnerability and authority, which only the Bible talks about in the person of Jesus. And so we come to faith. Many of you have stories of coming to faith, whether baptized as a child or as an adult. You come to faith, and the church talks a lot about that. We heard this beautiful expression from Gordon, if you haven't come to Jesus, that's something which is so important that the church needs to be doing. But the reality which the church often fails in and a lot of the preaching that I heard, and I think that we in Holy Trinity have also been talking about, and we've forgotten, though, is the reality of the journey of faith. The reality of the brokenness and the separation and the uncertainty and the difficulty of life where faith is tough. But what was really significant and really interesting and in seeing this life of Abraham was that it was not to be done alone. It was to be done in the context of community. And I was so struck when I was away of how individualized the world has come, especially America. If you're American, please forgive me. I'm, I'm not dissing America, but when I was in that culture and when I've come back, I'm just so struck by how individualized our faith has come. And what does that mean? It means that we parcel down our faith to one section of a pie where work, and family, and everything else that is in our life. Church and faith is just a little section of that pie. But for people like Abraham, and particularly Jesus, it was the whole pie into which the various elements fit. And the only way it works, I've never been more steadfast in this, is in community. Is in a loving community where people are accepted, 
and loved and they hear the gospel and they actually understand faith, but they are welcomed into that place and Jesus, by his Spirit, works through that transition. It's not that. It's not that. It's this. It's this complexity of faith empowered by the Spirit. But this growing in faith is hard. And I think there's various elements of it which, being really honest and looking at the life of Abraham and thinking of my own life as I was traveling down the east coast of America, the simple things like prayer, coming to church on a Sunday, being in a Bible study during the week, serving and giving yourself injustice are the simple things which actually really nourish us and underpin what faith is all about, period. We put so many more things on our lives, and life is tough and difficult and complex and busy, I get that, but we oftentimes put so much else on the backs of those who are in church, and the church has done that. I've done that. And a scripture that really strikes me is, is Hebrews 12, 1, which says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us throw it off. The Bible is really clear about the simplicity of what it is you need in that faith and the sin. And when you hear the word sin, when I was in the pew or in a seat in America hearing the word sin, it was either polarized into one side, which is there's not really any sin, and it doesn't really matter what you do, and you're loved anyway, and just you'll be grand. Into the other side, which was you're hated. God is angry with you. You are full of sin, and he wants nothing to do with you unless you come to Jesus. A healthy view of sin takes those two poles and places them in that center of the person of Jesus who understands brokenness and understands separation and meets you in that place. And that's something I think we need to talk more about as a church. But in our, in our passage today, and I want us to have a time of, of just praying and finishing off with a couple of songs, I think, honestly, one of the biggest struggles and aspects of this faith that stops us really growing in that whatever age you are, whatever country you're from, is fear. And our reading today in the Gospel today from the Gospel of St. Luke, Luke 12, 32 to 40 says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, give alms, make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Here it is. Here's one of the biggest points of the entire Bible. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The most commonly repeated command in the Bible, one of them, is do not be afraid. You've heard it said 365 of them, one for every day in the year, and life is filled with fear in this life of complex faith. 
But here's the other thing that we don't talk about. After each, after each do not be afraid, there is a command. There is an actual challenge to the hearer to do something about that place of fear. In the gospel today, it is a very real issue of the future, the financial future of that community. They didn't know where food was coming from. They didn't know what was going to happen for their financial security. And Jesus says, I meet you in that place. I understand. But he actually challenges them to actually, even above the financial insecurity, to put him first and actually live in a life where he is even above that struggle of not having enough money. He is even above the insecurities that you have. And that is the challenge of faith. That is why these women and men were not just sanitized and, and pe different people who are aloof and detached. They all put Jesus first above everything. They were solicitors, they were accountants, they were farmers, they were doctors, they were students, they were white, they were black, they were men, they were women. And I think the church, if I'm honest, has actually painted a, a place of faith which is quite different to that. And so I want us to really ask the question, as we think about our own faith, as we think about where we are at, and as we think about what church is about for us honestly, what the reality of community is about for us honestly, the question is, where is your treasure? What's really filling your heart? And what do you need to throw off? Because if your Christian life, whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or you're not in a living relationship with him, we'd love you to be that, or you are a Christian, without this constant question of where is my treasure or where is my heart, you're never going to have that emotional connection with God. You're never going to have that, I need you, I don't know what I'm going to do, I'm broken, help me. Because in that moment of honesty is where faith moves from being a stained glass window to actually being a relationship which is daily, and this is just the culmination of it. And that's a real challenge for us and for the church. And so what I'd love us to do is spend some time asking that question honestly about our own faiths and honestly about this question which I think I might have put up, Christina, about where is your treasure or what's really filling your heart. And if it's not up there, it's a simple question for you to ask today. And you know, in this next season of Holy Trinity, both the traditional service and the contemporary really feel deeply convicted to move more and more into that place of actually opening ourselves up for God to change our hearts and move us away from that place of intellectualism, which is nothing wrong with it, but a living faith, both children and all, so that Scott doesn't feel embarrassed that he has to do that. But the reality of the reality of that faith which Abraham really had and Jesus lived out. Because that is actually the invitation. And 
I went to some churches when I was away and they played the music at the end of the sermon and you know it's it's oh, church and faith is about that relationship if you don't have it then you don't live it out from that place not only are you missing out on so much you just weigh down all the time with the things you don't need it's so simple what you do need and we want our church more and more to be about those things so let's let's pray let's go on a journey together so father i give this time to you and for your holy spirit to speak to our hearts about where our treasure is Thank you for your church. Thank you for those expressions in the States and godly people. But Lord, we are broken people and we, we do things often from the wrong place. So we ask your forgiveness for that. Forgiveness even in our expression here. Lord, we want our faith to be living and active even more. We don't want to just be an hour on Sunday ticking a legal box of going through the motions. And I'm not saying we're doing that, God. I'm actually not, but I just think there's so much more. So, Father, as you asked that question in Luke, where is your treasure? Let us be honest with you about where our treasure is and realign and put you first. So I just encourage you actually, it's gonna be a bit challenging for you, but what is the thing that you need to, to actually put Jesus first in? And what is the thing that you need to put lower down and put him above? Such a challenging question. May he be your whole pie and may he be everything for you. And what I'd love to do before we close our service and sing these two songs as a blessing to you, as an encouragement to you, as the pastor of this church that longs for, for, for maturity, whether visiting or, or here for years. We've got this song which we're going to sing about, I give you my yes, God. And I would actually love you to Stand when you feel ready to actually give him your yes. Stand as like a, a statement of, yeah, I'm going to put you first. And that's a very personal thing, and some people might even feel they need to continue sitting. But So use it as like a, a response to give Jesus your yes, to move from this separated faith into this real faith.